Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast, brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Chris Battaglia, founder and CEO of Pareto Global Partners. Today, we welcome Amber Williams, who is the Chief Sustainability Officer and Head of Client Investment Strategies at Lincoln Financial Group to talk about three key themes that are on the minds of investors right now. Welcome, Amber. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. It's such a pleasure, such a pleasure. It's an exciting time, but before we talk about the markets, um, it's your first time on Power Your Advice. Can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and your role at Lincoln Financial? Sure, sure. So uh, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, and my husband and I have three boys. Um, We are big uh, Philly sports fans, so lots of excitement in the Williams household for those that know that the Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated and we're celebrating Red October with the Phillies right now. Congratulations. Um, so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as my uh, professional background, I spent the majority of my career in investments and insurance. And the last five, five years, yeah, about five years or so at uh, Lincoln Financial. And at Lincoln, I lead a team of investment professionals that spend a lot of time supporting our advisor community. And the reason, the way that we do that is by helping them make more informed decisions about the investments that they're choosing within our products. Um, we also help them understand, you know, what's what's driving the performance of their contracts that they purchase with Lincoln. And we provide tons of product agnostic, like market focused value add content that they can ultimately uh, share with their clients. So we're always busy. Every day is a different day here at Lincoln and with supporting our advisor community. Uh, but it's a lot of fun and we absolutely love it. Well, we're very, very fortunate to have you and our audience of advisors at advisorpedia.com, I'm sure will get a lot from our conversation today. So thank you again uh, for joining us. So it's been uh, safe to say a tumultuous year, um, lots of uh, no shortage of excitement, I should say, whether they be financial events, interest rate events, uh, Unfortunately, a lot of geopolitical risk that has been now impacting the, the markets. But overall, how do you think investors are feeling about the market's performance combined with rising interest rates over the first three quarters of 2023? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. If you think back to the start of this year and what investors were expecting, a lot of investors were expecting the economy was going to slow, earnings were going to slow. There was a tremendous amount of, maybe you want to call it groupthink, around a call for a recession in 2023. So I think overall, stock market return expectations were were low, and folks ended up moving a lot of money into bonds and a lot of money into into money markets. Um, that recession still hasn't arrived. Still hasn't uh, happened. <laughs> it still has not happened, uh, and I think the views today are mixed. So. A little bit of background with Lincoln. We work with asset managers across the industry and around the globe, and we're always kind of getting a pulse for expectations on things like where the market's going to go, where interest rates going to go, what's the kind of macro view, recession risks, and they're very mixed today. We have some asset managers that believe that we're going to 
we're going to avoid a recession for years to come and others that still, uh, I would say the majority that believe that a soft kind of mild recession over the next year or maybe into 2025 is what's what's expected. Um, but as far as, you know, how investors feel about the market so far this year, I, I guess it really depends what kind of investor you're talking about. So if you were in equities, you're probably feeling pretty good uh, so far this year because the stock market has been surprisingly resilient in the face of rising interest rates. Um, and as of the end of September, the stock market was up about 13% year to date, and that's almost 22% higher than the low, which was in October of 2022. Now, on the flip side, you have your bond investors, and I would say, you know, total return investors are probably a little less enthusiastic. You know, I think a lot of us were talking about moving into bonds earlier this year, and perhaps we were a little early on that trade. You know, especially if you were longer in duration, because with the increase in rates that we've seen so far this year, the asset class uh, is negative through the end of September. The the thing I'll be looking out for, and I know there's still a lot of room left in the year, but you know we're now trending towards possibly three years in a row where uh, core bonds could have negative performance. So it's something, an interesting trend there. No, it's incredible. I uh, read today, um, I think we are in the longest duration of an inverted yield curve without a recession. Is that right? That Yeah, it, it is true. And it has many people kind of scratching their heads and wondering whether or not the inverted yield curve um, is always the right indicator for uh, that you should be looking at to see if a recession is is pending. It certainly has not happened. And then the final thing I mentioned for investors, because we talked about cash, now, that's really been the talk of the town lately. We've seen money market assets balloon to over, I think the number I saw most recently was $5 trillion. And, uh, you know, if you think about it with higher interest rates and the volatility in the markets, you can kind of see the appeal for cash. But I think over the longer term, you know, investors that are holding that excess cash, they want to look at that as kind of a, maybe a short-term positioning. And then over time, think about, how they can reposition that cash in their portfolios because there truly is a lot of opportunity cost um, associated with sitting in cash for extended periods of time. It can be a real drag. Yeah, agreed. Excellent, excellent point. Lincoln is focused on uh, three core themes, if you will, three core themes that are um, on investors' minds today. So let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into the first one, which we touched a little bit on um, in your in your comments previously about the market performance. But why haven't higher rates caused the economy to slow more than we've seen? We, we do see some slowing, but why haven't higher rates caused the economy to slow even more? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a head scratcher, right? At first blush, you'd be looking at this and saying, hey, the, all the textbooks would say, exactly. if you have a, uh, you know, a more <laughs> expensive dollar, less liquidity, the economy should be starting to stall. But I think what we're learning is that... Uh, what we learn in academia and what happens in reality don't always always line up. Uh, our labor market is actually still going pretty strong. Corporate earnings are still strong, and and the consumer just continues to spend. So I think a big piece of the reason why rates haven't caused the economy to slow more really comes down to the decade plus low interest rate environment that we're just coming out of now. You had companies and consumers that took advantage of the fact that rates were so low. Talking about the consumer, they they borrowed or they refinanced their mortgages into lower rates. 
Um, and now those payments, which are a huge part of when you think about your your income statement as a consumer, one of the biggest payments you have is your mortgage. Well, you, these consumers are locked in a really low mortgage payment, and that's locked in for for you know upwards of thirty years. I saw a stat recently that said sixty percent of outstanding mortgages have origination rates of four percent or less, which I think is pretty uh, eye popping. Yeah, you can't see me. I'm actually smiling uh, from ear to ear and actually grinning. And I, I shouldn't uh, probably share a lot of personal information. But I did a refi several years ago at one and seven eighths. And uh, so I, I, I'm well below that mark and, uh, and uh, quite happy uh, that I was able to do that at the time. And I should say that I'm not usually very good at identifying the trends and taking advantage of them. But yeehaw, I got that one. Uh, but you, you know, to your point, right. yeah. But the, <laughs> to your, you know, to your point, I, you know, for those of us who've been around, you know, some time, I remember, you know, in the early 1980s, mid through the mid 1980s, we had, you know, interest rates or at least mortgage rates of 13 up to maybe 16, 17 percent. So you have a lot of people concerned that we're, um, you know, at that five, six percent, uh, you know, mark at the 30 year or whatever it is exactly today which seems, of course, relatively high to where it was just two or three years ago, but historically still, uh, you know, quite a low rate, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a really good point. I think we've just gotten so accustomed to really low rates at this point that when we see something that's actually probably more normal from a historical perspective, we're, uh, we don't like it, right? We don't, exactly. <laughs> we want it to be much uh. lower. Um, and you know, you consumers consumers definitely took advantage of lower rates, but companies they did as well. You know, you had companies that borrowed as much as they could, uh, and they're trying to extend their durations out as long as they could. And so, another interesting stat that I saw recently was about half of the total debt of companies in the S and P five hundred doesn't mature until twenty thirty or later. So, so if you think about that, you have companies that have low debt payments because they borrowed cheap. And then you're in this high rate environment. So you, you, those companies are investing their cash in higher yields. And it's, I mean, that's a winning strategy if you ever had one. For sure. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. So, you know, we're, we're covering a lot of things here about the, the, the macro economy, I guess, if you will. And, and we're, we agree that we're seeing a very resilient economy in the face of, uh, you know, rising interest rates. But you do see some headwinds, uh, you know, brewing there in the background. What specifically should we be paying attention to? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's really hard to imagine a world where rates can go up over 500 basis points in, in a year and a half and not anticipate that you're going to have some kind of fallout along the way. So, uh, some things I would think about or that maybe are worth noting uh, on the consumer front, we know that you know during the pandemic, there was this buildup of excess savings. And uh, that really was a was fuel for consumption for consumer consumption. But we're actually starting to see that excess savings start to de deplete. Um, and we're also seeing an uptick in credit card delinquency rates, which may be, you know, the, those deplete that depletion in excess savings could be contributing to that stat. Also, and I don't know that I want to make too much of this, but but I think it will bite in some cases. You have the student loan payments that are resuming, so that's going to weigh on consumers. 
Uh, you also have high, higher oil prices. Um, and then finally, you know, real incomes are below pre-pandemic trend while real spending is above pre-pandemic trends. And so that's something that's probably not sustainable in the long term. And I think all of these points could start to weigh in the ability for consumers to continue to spend like they have. Uh, another thing I would I would point to would be jobs. Now, the reason I think jobs are so important is because the Fed essentially hangs their hat in the labor market and um, they're going to want to see some weakness here before they consider cutting rates. So what are we seeing in the jobs market? I mean, for the most part, the labor markets are still very strong, we, but we are seeing a steady decline in wage growth and hourly earnings are also steadily coming down. Now, up until last week, I don't know if you saw the number, but uh, the trend in monthly job ads was largely trending down as well. And that was something we were paying really close attention to. And everybody, I think, it, that pays attention to the markets was looking to see what that X jobs number was going to come in at. It came in really high. It came in really high. So the consensus was 170,000 jobs would be added. And the actual number was uh, 336, 336,000 jobs, which was way higher than than consensus. And I think as I was scratching my head on how how did we get that so wrong, perhaps, and this is just my my guess or my assumption, is that it's a sign that companies were anticipating a recession, so slowing their job ads, and then now they're starting to be a little more a little more optimistic. So whatever the reason, it was certainly a sign of strength for the labor market. And not with the Fed. I, I don't think it's, it's what the Fed was looking to see in their fight against inflation. So it's safe to say that they are probably just headwinds, headwinds. We don't really see a tsunami coming at us anytime soon, but there are certainly some things that are that we could describe as weaknesses. And there are some aberrations, obviously, as you point out very well in in the labor market to give us some not some great concern, but but um, but obviously some you know some things there are are brewing um that yeah um, just some stuff yeah. to watch you know just some, some stuff, stuff to watch, to watch. Yeah. we know that these trends as we saw with the with the jobs number last week we know that these trends can reverse quickly but you got to pay attention to it because it's such an important component yeah so i'd like to shift a little shift a little bit to um interest rates and then you know fixed income you know two important topics i think for for you and and for advisors, and I know this is a difficult one to sort of address, to sort of predict, if you will, what might come next for interest rates, but what are your thoughts there? Good call out. It's really hard to say what's going to come next for interest rates. Um, so I think you can't really talk about the direction of rates right now without first talking about where we stand in the fight against inflation. And I think we can look at the data and say that that fight is pretty much over. Yeah, we did see uh, an uptick in, in headline inflation in July and August, but that was mostly energy related. And core inflation, which excludes that food and energy, that has continued to trend down. We're also seeing uh, falling shelter prices, which we expected. They've been stickier up to this point, but we knew that there's a lagged effect in, in seeing uh, prices drop on the shelter side. And then when you look at core PCE, and that is what the Fed looks at, right? That's their preferred inflation gauge. And ultimately, what drives policy decision, uh, we saw the smallest monthly increase since late 2020 in August. 
So I think inflation continues to move in the right direction. And perhaps the bigger risk at this point is that the Fed tightens too much, which is why I'm of the belief that uh, we're at the end of this rate hiking cycle right now. The one thing I will mention, though, here, and what what folks are talking about a lot now is when is the, when do we expect the Fed to cut rates, which is another crystal ball that I don't have one that works really well. But I think the Fed and the markets do gr- agree that rate cuts probably aren't coming anytime soon, unless there's some unforeseen economic shock that happens. You know, more to come on that, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see if those rate cuts happen next year, or they happen in 2025. And now that the kind of word on the street or the language on the street is this higher for longer expectation. So we'll see. Yeah, excellent. So um, at, at Advisorpedia, which is an audience of, of financial advisors, we have seen a very sharp in, uh, uptick in the rise and, and the number of people writing and talking about, discussing, debating about fixed income. Uh, which is Lincoln's third theme in this uh, conversation today. Is it time for investors to consider adding fixed income to their portfolios? And maybe you can delve a little bit deeper into, again, to your comment about it, but depends on which kind of investor. But, uh, you know, I think about um, the retirement income needs specifically with regard to fixed income with individuals in, in or approaching or going into retirement. And, and sort of those considerations that advisor has to uh, has to think about. So what's, what's your thoughts on adding fixed income to uh, portfolios right now? Yeah. So if we go back to the basics and remind ourselves why we invest in bonds, it's for three reasons, right? You buy bonds for income, you buy bonds for the diversification benefits, and then for total return investors, you're looking for some level of capital appreciation along the way. So when rates were really low, all three of those value propositions were challenged. It was something that the whole industry was talking about. But now you're seeing that that tide has turned, right? Income is back in fixed income. You can now get north of 5% yields in domestic core fixed income. And keep in mind that when you have these higher yields, it also offers really good cushion should rates continue to rise. And then the diversification benefits are back. And I know, you know, maybe there's some recency bias in investors' minds around what happened um, in 2022. That was a bit of a of an odd year. You know, bonds didn't provide that that protection that investors expected. But we're now starting to see bonds acting more like a true diversifier again. And then the final thing is, if interest rates fall, which a lot of folks anticipate that that's probably the most likely direction of rates um, from here, at least over the next few years then total return investors could see some meaningful capital appreciation. And so if you summarize all that, the the quote that you're often hearing nowadays around bonds are back, I tend to agree with that. I think that the value proposition in bonds is truly back in full force. I'd also you know, be remiss if we're having a conversation about retirement income, if, if I didn't mention how higher rates have also increased the value proposition of guaranteed income solutions. And we know that guaranteed income is such an important part of a client's retirement income plan. So I think as we think about constructing income portfolios from here, that guaranteed income solutions should absolutely be a part of that conversation. And Chris, I think it needs to really be a conversation uh, today because with the higher interest rate environment, insurance providers have been able 
to increase the benefits of these solutions for their clients. I can speak to Lincoln specifically. You know, right now we're offering roll-up and income payouts that are higher than we've seen in 15, 20 years. I was joking with our national sales manager just last week about how the last time that Lincoln was able to offer rates this high, I was still in college. So that's a, that's a long time ago. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'd, I'd encourage folks to take a hard look at these solutions today because with how unpredictable the rate environment can be, we just don't know how long we're going to be able to offer such rich benefits in these guaranteed income solutions. No, it's it's excellent advice and a really good measure to think about those things, uh, particularly when you're looking to deal with sustainability and retirement and sustainability and income. So, you know, thank you for that added bit of insight. Um, so we, we, we covered the main themes, the, th- the three key themes, I suppose, in terms of uh, the economy, the interest rates, and uh, what's happening in the fixed income markets. Let's put a cap on our discussion about the fourth quarter of this year and and the market cycle and in terms of where we are in in this process we've seen obviously a, a fairly sizable uptick in, in equities in the US markets I think about uh, the other parts of the world there's some incredible uh, scenarios going on in the markets uh, I think the the Nikkei and the Japanese market equity market is up 30 plus percent. But but here in the States, we're seeing, you know, fairly sizable gains. What, where are we with this market cycle? And what's your expectations for the fourth quarter of the year? So Chris, I, I have to say that I learned many years ago, uh, and for many years working in this business, that making predictions about where we are in the market is a fool's game, but you asked the question. So I'm especially gonna- in Especially in October, <laughs> especially in October, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not very good timing. Yeah. Um, look, I would say, you know, by most accounts in in some of the big areas that matter, like jobs and the consumer strength and corporate balance sheets, things are still looking pretty solid. Um, that said, I do think that given tighter financial conditions, the ability for that strength to continue, it, it certainly feels more tenuous. And so I tend to agree with the majority sentiment that I think is out there right now, that we are at the late stages of this cycle. Um, I think a recession is coming maybe in later 2024, perhaps even into 2025. um, And it's likely to be more of, you know, just a run of a mill, run of the mill slowdown versus any uh, major recession like we saw during the global financial crisis, for example. Um, And I think with that backdrop, as investors, we need to continue to focus on diversification as always, and perhaps even a bent towards more high quality. That just feels prudent given where we, where I believe we are in this cycle, in, in my opinion. Makes great sense. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. And to learn more about the Lincoln Financial Group, please visit lincolnfinancial.com. Please follow us for timely updates on X, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. And for everyone at Advisorpedia and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Chris Battaglia. Thank you again.